0: Bahawa saya, bahawa saya akan setia kepada, akan setia kepada undang-undang dasar, undang-undang dasar negara Republik Indonesia, undang-undang dasar negara Republik Indonesia tahun 1945. This is Indonesia in depth. I'm Sean Corrigan. Serta akan menjalankan... Pagi hari ini saya ingin mengenalkan kabinet Indonesia Maju kita akan fokus pada pengembangan sumber daya manusia pada penciptaan lapangan kerja dan pemberdayaan usaha kecil usaha mikro usaha menengah. Dan langsung saja saya ingin memperkenalkan yang pertama-pertama pertam. Joining us today
1: is one of our favorite guests, Dr. Jayadi Hanan, the Executive Director of Lembaga Survey Indonesia, LSI. He is a lecturer and the director of political science research at the paramedina university here in jakarta president widodo announced his new cabinet on october 23rd uh, 34 ministers in total along with four other important positions including the attorney general president widodo set lofty goals when he took office in 2014 and many of them have yet to be achieved along with that come new challenges to Indonesia as he moves into his second term, uh, particularly with political reforms, stagnant economic growth, human rights concerns, and the looming demographic dividend where the number of people of working age will be higher than the number of dependents, which is set to peak around 10 years or so from now, and many more jobs will be needed to absorb that workforce. Now, the cabinet, in my opinion, is not the best formula to achieve the goals that Widodo promised to deliver, and it, his cabinet seems to be full of political accommodations and compromises. And with this supersized political coalition now, how do you view the new cabinet, and what are the political signals or codes that we should pay attention to when trying to understand what Widodo's second term may look like?
2: Well, Sean, first of all, thank you for having me again. With regard to the new cabinet, you're right that actually it is not a surprise to many and uh, as you described before that uh, the cabinet is a kind of not an ideal or not as ideal as uh, many people have wanted in my uh, description in a very dis- short description in my view this uh, cabinet can be described in three words one is disruption two is continuity three is stability so combining the, those three could be a very daunting challenge to the president. Uh, why I'm saying that uh, he's trying to combine those three disruptions mean he wanted to have a kind of new thing inside his cabinet in order for him to achieve a better and a, a faster three main things that he has said since 2014, which is human resources and an infrastructure and then economic transformation in general in the second term in his second uh, term cabinet he uh, set up the so-called indunshan vision which is consisting of five uh, goals one is continuing infrastructure project two is focusing on human resource development three is reforming the bureaucracy because bureaucracy is still a problem a hurdle to development Four is trying to eliminate all of the uh, regulations, all of the um, laws that can inhibit Indonesian transformations. And lastly, he would like to uh, have the so-called economic transformations in general. Economic transformation, if you remember his promise in 2014, was similar to the saying of having a very high economic growth, right? which was at the time he set up the goal for having around 7% of economic growth but because of a lot of things including the outside development of economy or 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 global economy development this uh, achievement of 7% uh, as you said has not yet uh, been achieved instead what we are having now is the steady economic growth around 5 or uh, more or less which is not enough for Indonesia. Uh, Jokowi, I think, as the president, uh, is right. But that Indonesia needs at least seven percent of economic growth to uh, enable us to transform our economy from the so-called lower-level middle-income country in economy to which is uh, having a kind of middle-income trap to higher-level of middle-income economy in general. Without at least seven percent of economic growth, we cannot do that. So. Again, the goals are actually ambitious given the fact that he has the cabinet There are not as ideal as uh, I have mentioned. So, to do that, he needs a team that, that can do a so-called disruption in the way uh, Indonesian uh, development is done, in the way the ministries, the cabinet is working, in the way... How the ministers, the cabinet are approaching in solving the problems and so on and so forth so Yeah, I
1: think disruption is, is one of the key yeah, terms here Yes, uh, the,
2: the problem is when we are talking about disruption And I think we, are, we agree, I think most of people agree that we need that kind of disruption approach But when we try to relate this uh, idea with who are or who is gonna execute that disruption approach it comes down to only several ministers, right? Uh, the, the most famous of them are two key figures. One is Nadim Makarim, which is posted to a very important uh, ministry because of uh, the focus, uh, the, uh, the priority agenda, which is human resource development. Nadim Makarim is very well known as one of the the new figure in Indonesia in business, which is disrupting. Uh, one very important business in Indonesia, which is uh, transportation, and I think, despite the fact he is very young, which can be a very a plus side for for this job, but some people are still doubtful about his capability in understanding what is actually the real problems of Indonesian education in general. Uh, but I think, as the uh, the person who is very very uh, experienced. In creativity and innovation. I think uh, we expect or we hope that Nadim Makarim can find a way to disrupt Indonesian both bureaucracy and also Indonesian system of education in general in a good uh, meaning. Yeah, to disrupt it in a good meaning, not in a bad meaning. Number two is you you see a, another young figure, very young, although a bit older than Nadim, is Tama, which is assigned by the president to execute very important program in probably digital economy creative industry and so on and so forth blend with the tourism in in Indonesia in general which is one of the promising uh, economic field for the transformation of in- Indonesian economy in the future so these two very young guy are i think the symbol of disruption i think the other that can be an addition to these two young guys are uh, another uh, well known figure person like eric toher who was very well known from uh, his closeness with, with the president and his capability of uh, chairing the uh, and successful and very successful in indonesian uh, being a host of Asian Game uh, mm-hmm. a few months ago, and he's replacing Reini Sumarno as the state-owned enterprise.
1: Yes, minister of state-owned enterprise, which is
2: uh, you know state-owned enterprise has been one of the the bulk of Jokowi's infrastructure project because most of the infrastructures development have been uh, being executed by this uh, the so-called state-owned enterprise. Especially in construction and health uh, program. So, other person that could be an addition to this team of disruption is a very young uh, entrepreneur who is tasked for the for chairing the so-called BKPM, the the, the investment body, investment yeah? board, investment yes. body, investment board, which is also very very important. So. Uh, in a way, there are some young guys who are assigned or tasked with the job to disrupt Indonesian economy, Indonesian education, Indonesian infrastructures in, in general. On the other side, seems that Jokowi needs to uh, feel, the, uh, he, he feels that there are some parts of uh, his job needs to be in continuity with the previous job that he has done in the previous term. And I think uh, on a good. Uh, th- this is also a good side or a plus side of this cabinet. Person like Sri Mulyani, uh, who is uh, able to maintain the stability of Indonesian economy in general during the first term, and then you have also Basuki Hadimulyono, who is the Minister of Infrastructure, and I think that is a good pick because um, uh, Basuki is uh, considered very successful. In assisting Jokowi in moving forward with all of that massive infrastructures project, but at the same time, you have the so-called the stability team. Uh, I think uh, the the goals of Jokowi is to to some extent is for the right reason. Yeah, um, he would like to have political and security stability. Of course, if you are trying to move very fast with uh, economic and human resource development, you need a security at the same time you need the uh, political stability otherwise you will be just busy with uh, you know uh, political and security problems uh, meaning that you will not be able to achieve the economic uh, development in general
1: but just just before you jump to that part i definitely want to get to that on the political security side mm-hmm. but do you think these three disruptors will able to break through and make change Especially say Department of Education and Culture, very bureaucratic, very difficult. Yes. Very difficult to manage the curriculum, the nationwide exactly. curriculum, massive curriculum. First, will Nadim be able to make breakthroughs there? Right. And what about Eric Tohier, for example, as well?
2: True. That is still in a big question mark, because of two reasons. Number one, uh, there are two challenges for the so-called disruptors. Yeah. Number one, they needs a massive support from the bureaucracy while jokowi himself uh, in his inauguration speech told us very clearly that bureaucracy is still the big hurdle to indonesian development so the first challenge to them is how to disrupt bureaucracy itself uh, without having a good bureaucracy supportive bureaucracy then their disruption innovation creativity will be only big words, big ideas cannot be executed, because those bureaucracy are the ones who gonna who's gonna, gonna execute the the ideas, the innovation, the, the creativity, and so on and so forth. I think uh, one of the key uh, here should be the minister of bureaucracy reform. If you have a disruptors on human resource and economic development then you need to have a disruptor also on the uh, ministry of uh, bureaucracy reform that we don't have why because the the one the minister who is now responsible for this is the former uh, ministry of minister of interior home Affairs, ministry of minister of home affairs in the previous era He's an old guy who is not well known for understanding the new types of challenges in the new world very very well.
1: So there's a miss- He's a, a kind mismatch. of old
2: guy, kind of old guy have, having an experience even uh, all the way back to Suharto era. So I don't think he's he's a, a good pick for that. So it's going to be a challenge, challenge uh, about how to provide the bureaucracy. So. That means if we cannot expect the ministers to provide that bureaucracy support, then we have to expect the president himself mm-hmm. yeah to go down and make sure that there is a really a bureaucracy reform as fast as possible, especially in the area of human resources development, otherwise, uh the disruptions in uh, in uh human resource development will not be happening
1: mm-hmm. but he's he's had great difficulty with that as you mentioned with the uh, bureaucratic reform would you think he can make a breakthrough the president i mean if he has to step in uh and help these three or four ministers is he going to be able to make a breakthrough
2: or is it going to be five years from now we'll, we'll be talking about the same thing i think uh he better be he mentioned before, I think several months before, in front of the media, that in the second term he has the so-called no burden. What he meant by it is he has no political burden, just like in the first term. You know, the political burden of the president in the first term was number one, is that he has to foresee. He had to foresee at the time the possibility of him being re-elected, right? Mm-hmm. So he had to be very compromising he had to be very careful in dealing with the uh, political uh, elites and so on and so forth now that burden is no longer uh, that burden is no longer there which means that he ha- uh, he can focus more on the priority agenda if that is really the case yeah so number 2 i guess is that uh, the political uh, burden is on the partisan support in the parliament in 2014, at least for one and a half years, uh, the first one and a half years of his presidency in the first term, he didn't have that until the second year of his uh, presidency of the the first term. So the political support that is enough for him to support him in the parliament. But now, right after the uh, the final announcement about the presidential election, he got the support. Five political parties that were supporting him in the presidential election. Came through, uh, make through the parliament, and all in all, they have around 60% more of the seats in the parliament. Which is uh, political support he had, political burden he has, he, he has no longer. So that gives him an asset, political asset, to be more aggressive, to be more decisive, to be more involved in uh, making sure the support for his ministers that are needed like the bureaucracy reform should be uh, executed or should be provided but we we don't know whether it's going to happen or not because we have to wait and see uh, um until the latest development one issue will be the possibility of his family to be to, to participate, mm-hmm. his son and his son in law mm-hmm. to participate in regional elections, mm-hmm. which can complicate in a way a possibility of achieving much in second term. Yeah,
1: I definitely want to get into yeah, that. I, in I know, moment. I know you're
2: you're gonna talk about it in the uh later on, right? Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh just getting back to your point of you have the uh disruptors and then also you have the uh, security side, mm-hmm. which you mentioned,
2: and then we have the continuity. Good, yeah, go one. On, yeah.
1: But can you explain some of the security side?
2: Yeah, there are two things. You you see sev- several generals, all generals, yeah, and even the uh, the main opponent, political opponent, uh, the president during the the election, is also embraced in the team. They are all having a security approach in their mind because of their background as the military guy. So, I think in terms of this security thing, number one is that all of the national surveys conducted, for instance, by Indonesian Survey Institute or LSI, confirm that uh, Indonesia has no problem in security issues. What Jokowi needs, actually, in general, yeah, security. You mean domestic security? Domestic security, okay. yeah. Meaning that domestic security has been providing uh, a good factor for him to move forward with the agendas of the cabinet. Of course, there are some kind of threat like terrorism or radicalism from inside and also from outside. But uh, it does not necessarily means that you need to sacrifice, for instance, the freedom of people, the civil liberties. On the name of security and on the name of um, achieving the economic and human resource goals of, of, of development, but this is still in question because there is a tendency. If we look at the backgrounds of many of these ministers, the military background, that uh, the possibility of them uh, using more uh, kind of security approach in uh, dealing with people in general, uh, including for the first time in Indonesian democratized era the minister of religious affair is filled out by the military yeah. guy
1: and which usually falls to NU or Muhammadiyah
2: usually it is uh, yes it is usually given to NU or Muhammadiyah both because of the representation issue but also because of the expertise issue uh, or the meritocracy issue
1: and in his appointment now the general the retired general's appointment now is more due to security or what's the that reason is behind what That is what
2: we can see for now because uh, he is not uh, an affiliate to NU in he's an affiliate to a smaller organizations called Matlaul Anwar also part of Islamic organizations based in Banten which one of the occasion was attended by Wiranto uh, a few uh, you know a few weeks ago where he got stabbed mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. so that kind of organization still in terms of the uh, the Islamic school thought, they are part of a uh, kind of NU. But it's not considered the, the, as the NU affiliate, usually. So, uh, he's not also a clear member, for instance, uh, Muhammadiyah. So, in that kind of representation issue, I think he is uh, not NU and also not Muhammadiyah. But he's not also a cleric, right? Exactly. An yeah. Islamic cleric. He's also not an, let's say... Religious expert. So, what is the reason behind the appointment, other than uh, the possibly thinking that he is appointed because of his military background? And I think there are there are arguments out there that this kind of uh, ministry is responsible for uh, managing religious affairs in Indonesia in general. Are now dealing with the so-called fundamentalism, radicalism, intolerance, and so on and so forth, things like that, right? So uh, I think there is a there is a message there that uh, the government would like to deal with uh, that issues of radicalism, extremism, and so on and so forth with a kind of security approach, which is worrying some of the people. We hope that the vice minister that also has just been appointed by the president can balance that because the current vice Minister of Religious Affairs is uh, a person of the expert and also the representation of the uh, Islamic cleric in Indonesia. But the point is that there is a possibility of the government to deal with problems in non-economic issues like extremism, radicalism, or security issues with uh, more a security approach mm, security approach yeah so um so there is a kind of security uh, idea uh, in there are there more generals in the cabinet now than the last one or is
1: it about the same
2: I think it's about it's about the same yeah but uh, in different uh, different uh, positions in different position which is not uh the current one especially the minister uh, there are two more controversial position now number one is the one we have just talked about about the religious Affairs uh, minister the other one is about the minister of defense mm-hmm. not because of the 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 post itself but because of the the political positions of Prabovo uh, who is the nemesis of Jokowi for the last almost 10 years right um the that minister of defense is a very strategic position in Indonesian constitution because when the president and the vice president cannot do their duty, then there will be try the so called triumvirate which consists mm-hmm. of three ministers. Mm-hmm. One of them is ministers of defense, which who will temporarily uh, take charge. Or um, uh, in charge of the duties of the president and the vice mm-hmm. president. So and, and the other is
1: what home affairs or just there's, there's three, isn't there? Aren't there three? Uh, the other generals. The three ministries. Oh, the uh, home
2: affairs and then minister of uh, foreign affairs. Okay. Yeah. So uh, so those two positions. The question is, how the president is gonna deal with Prabowo in managing the cabinet, right? For instance. Of course the president needs to evaluate them regularly when the, the, when for instance the evaluation is not good for Prabowo what will be the decision is he going to be fired or not if he is fired then there will there will be a very good reasons for the public supporting Prabowo all the way to have a stronger position a stronger opposition to to the government is it gonna be a choice that uh, that is taken by Jokowi? We don't know. Yeah. Uh, so aside from the the security issues, there is also uh, the issue of coalition management there uh, with the coming up uh, some of the general, especially uh, Prabowo. Other generals like Luhut has been there, and I think I think he's still considered by Jokowi as one of his closest allies. I think that's why he is part of. The coordinating ministers and other generals are the police general, which in Indun, of course, in uh, in an established democratic country like the US, for instance, the police general is actually similar to a person in non-military community, right? Mm-hmm. But in here, although officially uh, the police is not part of the military, but the approach, uh, the way they work is still like the military. So he can be considered also a security guy, security guy overseeing all of local governments in Indonesia with all of the problems that they are having, economically and others. So it is also a sign that the security approach is going to be one of the uh, the forefront of this government, which is worrying for some people. To some people, uh, especially uh, who are the activists of like civil liberties. Or civil rights and so on and so forth, but we'll see, mm-hmm. um, you, because there is a possibility of sacrificing the civil liberties uh, in the name of, uh, you know, economic and human resource development. Exactly, I think on that on that
1: point, I, I think that the forces that brought Widodo to become elected as president in 2014 may be the same forces that are slowing him down, quote unquote, slowing him down in economic yes. uh, reform where democracies can be messy they can be inefficient exactly where now he needs to streamline things he needs to have stronger economic growth Mm -hmm. and economic policies that are strong to Mm -hmm. promote that growth while it could be at the expense of say uh dissent he he needs to streamline things to get things moving Mm -hmm. especially with the bureaucracy Mm -hmm. and less criticism i think is also an issue
0: right Kabinet beliau diminta untuk dan uh, saya sudah sampaikan uh, keputusan kami dari Partai Gerindra apabila diminta kami siap membantu dan hari ini resmi diminta dan kami sudah sanggupi untuk membantu. Menteri Pertahanan Bapak Prabowo Subianto Um, but just on that point
1: yeah. with yeah. Gurindra coming into the, the the ruling coalition, a lot of critics uh, locally and internationally said they were astonished. It's a big gamble from Prabowo. It's a very big surprise to bring him in into the coalition. But in my opinion, it's, it's not a surprise at all. Jokowi and Prabowo were, had close communication uh, in mid 2018 before uh, Widodo announced his uh, vice president candidate. With the hope of having Prabowo not running for for president, and I think um, Prabowo and Giringro were interested in that, but I think their demands were quite high, so that didn't work. The the communication continued again after the election, very close, very intense, along with Megawati, and along with uh, the other political parties. So I don't think it's a, a big surprise. I think um, in Indonesia, as you know better than I, pot that the ideologies between Garindra and PDIP <laughs> are quite similar. Right. Um, I actually uh, um, wrote a report earlier how that there's very little polarization, we say, between Garindra and PDIP. They have very similar platforms, right. even though both platforms are quite weak. Uh, how much of the decision to bring in Garindra into the cabinet is related to the president's own party, PDIP, of not always being fully supportive of him? I can recall that the Gurindra party in Parliament worked closely with the government, actually, in his first one and a half, two years of uh, his administration. And I think you said yourself that even as a member of the country's largest political party, which is PDIP, uh, Widodo still does not have enough influence among his coalition to secure political policies in Parliament. Is Gurindra in the coalition now to support uh, Widodo as some type of equalizer
2: in Parliament? it could be one of that yeah but i think there are several uh, reasons you're right that it is not a surprise for jokowi to have prabowo inside uh, his coalition in the sense that one uh, that jokowi uh, needs to add at least one more political party to his uh, former presidential election coalitions then he has uh, three choices one is Garin Ra. Two is Democrat and three is National Mandated Party or PAN in Indonesian term. And for this reason, I think uh, PDIP is a factor because PDIP I think is much more comfortable with Gerindra than with Democrat. You know, with Democrat uh, the chairman of PDIP Megawati has a very long, mm. you know, long time unfriendly relationship with uh, 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 so to speak. While with PAN there are two problems number 1 is the founder of PAN one of the founders Amir Rais has been very very harsh critic of Jokowi and i think offended a lot of people in the circle of Jokowi also in the circle of PDIP and two PAN has been the political party during SBY time and during Joko, uh, Jokowi's first uh, first term as the non not so loyal Exa- uh, member of <coughs> exactly. political critical yes right uh, because of those reasons then the best choice will be grinra uh, uh, and prabowo and on the side of jo- jokowi i think to come to the point that you are asking on the side of jokowi one it is true that jokowi has got uh, more than 60% of the partisan support in the parliament after uh, based on the, the uh, political parties, uh, his coalition in, in presidential election, but you know in Indonesian uh, parliament decision making process, the way they decide things is not only based on uh, or or many times uh, it's not only based on voting based on the number of the seats that uh, a coalition control but they also have the so-called consensus uh, way exactly. of making things in consensus then the number of political parties are important that are supporting you if you have only 5 like jokowi has for presidential elections that means uh, you have the opponent consisting of four political parties and in presidential system like indonesia there is uh, there is no guarantee 100% that member of coalition will always be loyal to the president in all issues.
1: Yeah, yeah and that's what happened uh, a that, lot in his first term.
2: Yes, and it is not unique to Indonesia actually. This is the characteristics of multi-party presidential coalition in many countries, Latin America, South Korea, and and and, and others. So what that means is that Jokowi still needs an addition of his coalition member, not only five, he needs at least six to as a, a safety net. Mm-hmm. If one or two political parties, let's say one of the political parties inside his own coalitions cannot be loyal to him in certain issues. Okay? So adding Grinra is a meeting with the need of Jokowi for that. Number two, I come to your point. In managing his own coalitions, in presidential system, multi-party presidential system, there is the so-called presidentialization of political party. What that, is, what that means is that the political party who are supporting the president, or even who are the political party of the president, has the possibility of being different or having a different view or, or, or position with uh, the president yeah uh, uh, that means uh, he needs to make sure that that does not happen the president needs to have a coalition in which he does not uh, he is not dependent too much to his own political parties so here we have big political parties inside his coalition is pdip second one is golkar what if this golkar and pdip is in collusion with each other to be against him, right? So he needs a kind of, as you said, mm-hmm. and a kind of equalizer, a kind of conflict management types of coalition build, uh, coalition uh, maintenance. So their uh, Garindra is important for Jokowi. But on the side of Prabowo, you know, on the side of Gerindra, I think two things. Number one is Prabowo has been running for presidency for fifteen years almost all of his political career has been being uh, a candidate, right? So, I think there are some probably psychological issue also here, and also probably also logistical issues uh, for him. Uh, so, being part of the government will be uh, better for him. That is number one. Number two is that his own political parties is going to have a kind of uh, 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 sooner or later, his own political parties should not be too much dependent on him anymore. In other words, his own political parties uh, Gerindra, in this case, needs the so-called political party consolidation, especially uh, approaching the to- uh, 2024 election, which is a very which is going to be another watershed election in Indonesia. Why? Why so? Why so? Because uh the big one is that i think two to, uh, 2024 election will be the mark of real transformation or real transition of national leadership in indonesia to the new generations of national leadership so this is coming from nine, 1998 and finally be
1: concluded in 2024 2024 amazing
2: yeah jokowi is a kind of new leadership but the things that is surrounding him yeah. is still a transition figure, yeah. the figures who are experiencing authoritarian era and also the transition from authoritarian to the new reform or democratization era. But in 2024, there will be a kind of cut off between this transitional generation of leadership of Indonesia at the national level to the new one. The new one means you can say the millennials generations of Indonesian national leadership. So it's going to be a watershed. Uh, that means all political parties must be really, really prepared for that, mm-hmm. including Gerindra. Uh, what will they need for that? They will need a lot of access to political power. That will need a lot of access to logistical resources and so on and so forth, both at both at the national and also at the local level. That means being part of the government. In Indonesian way, is much more meaningful, much more beneficial for political parties like Gerindra. So, in a way, or to a great extent, this is uh, the meeting of the needs of the yep. Prabowo and his own political parties, and the needs of Jokowi as well as uh, yeah. PDIP. As a result, they got it uh, is in one coalition. Yeah. Although you can say it's like a strange bedfellow. But that what is what yeah, happens in Indonesia. Yeah, I mean,
1: I, I, I think if you look at it from the distance, it looks like a, a strange bedfellow. Yeah. But I think otherwise, they're very natural partner. It is very natural part it's of in Indonesia. Bed. Yeah. Uh, it's not surprising, and right. I, I think it makes co- a lot of sense politically. Right.
2: One um, one one of the factors that affecting that is because, as you said, there is no big obstacle for different political parties in Indonesia to be in coalition with each other. Despite the fact they yeah. were person in opponent in opposition with each other in the previous election, for instance, yeah. why? Because there is no political party platform, there is no political parties ideologies that stand in the way, that stand in the middle of, of them. In that sense, all is possible as long as you personally can agree on things. Absolutely, so you can say anything goes. Absolutely, so true. In one of the political scientists' uh, term, it is like promiscuous types of. Uh, coalition anything goes
1: yeah. yeah i mean even if we look at the coordinating minister for security but uh, mafurd yeah mafurd md mm-hmm. yeah yeah um i mean he was on prabowo's campaign success exactly. team exactly but he can transition it's about the personalities it's about the personal relationship exactly. he was about, about to be ideology. the vice president of jokowi exactly right? exactly can and you
2: imagine that the 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 campaign manager or the chairman of uh, campaign team of the opponent of jokowi then being yeah. requested, yeah. being vetted to be the vice president, now become the one of the very important ministers, coordinating minister for political security and law. Exactly. And in in Indonesia, yeah.
1: Yeah, I think it's important just to reemphasize your point is that many people forget that Maruf Amin was not Jokowi's uh, first choice, choice for no. vice president, who actually he already decided on Mahmud MD. Exactly. Uh, but unfortunately. For Mafut MD, the the political forces in the political parties right. were against that because he could easily run for election in 2024. Exactly. He's also not a quote-unquote loyal member of uh, PKB, sure. according to the, the chairman there. And for many other reasons, where Maruf Amin is sort of a, the perfect candidate for VP yes. right now as you're going in towards this watershed uh, election exactly. or this... this a change of elections coming in, in 2024, so it's yeah. a perfect fit. But it's very interesting how Muffud MD is, you, like you said, can be on the opponent's success team and then be a, a vice presidential candidate right. and then later be a coordinating yeah. minister. Yeah. Uh, but just on that one point with um, with Prabowo coming in, Pa, I know he met with all the coalition leaders, especially Megawati, the chairwoman of PDIP. How influential was their deal back in 2009, the Batutulis deal, where Garindra Supported uh, Megawati for president in 2009, uh, and Garinja would be the vice presidential candidate. And then in 2014, PDIP was supposed to support Prabowo for president, which she did not. She eventually supported uh, Jokowi in the mm-hmm, end. Mm-hmm. Um, is there any type of deal now? Do you think between uh, Megawati and Prabowo, say for 2024, perhaps with her daughter uh, Puan, who is now yeah. the speaker of the upper house, MPR?
2: Yeah, we the observers are suspect. Yeah. That one of the the deals is about the amendment of the constitutions. Exactly, that is, that I definitely that is get one, to that. One, one of the important deals. You know, uh, this has been initiated by PDIP for long. The reasons can be two. One is they truly believe that we need the so-called national development planning, mm-hmm. just like in New Order era. They really they truly believe that they wanted to have that. Of course, we, in academic and also political observers, still debating about it. I myself do not agree with that, but that is one possibility. The other possibility is um, is more tricky, more political trick, which is that the amendment uh, is promised to be only very limited to inserting the 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 provision on the national guideline of mm-hmm, Indonesian mm-hmm. development in general, but actually you know once you enter the amendment anything c- can happen right exactly. including to reverse back the indonesian constitutions like the presidential election to the old era which uh, in which the president is no longer elected by uh, the popular vote w- which it used to be up until 2004 up until 2004 right right um logically speaking can be um very beneficial to some elites right some elites Absolutely. are aspiring for being a president but they know under the current uh, system because the one who has the say is the people then uh, some people are really not presidential among uh, yeah. you know in, in in the eyes of the people so uh, to uh, go back to the the old system in which only some elites uh, the so called mpr members decide Who's gonna be the president is gonna be beneficial for some of these people, mm-hmm. including maybe in some uh, political parties like in Gerindra or in uh, in PDIP. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but again, this is accusation uh, or uh, this is uh, what is it called? Speculation, A- spe- speculation al- and allegations, uh, things like that. So, but I think it is logical. So that's why I think it could be part of the deals. But remember also that. You mentioned about the deals on Batutul, the, the old deals between Megawati and Prabowo. I think those are only supporting types of stuff to make the deals become much more nicer, you know. Mm. Uh, but I think uh, other than the so-called uh, uh, amendment of the constitutions, uh, there is another possibility. That is, that there is uh, PDIP and Jokowi probably truly believe that they need to have a kind of Reconciliation, national reconciliation with Prabowo. Because they believe that Prabowo has been the representation of almost half of Indonesians. Polarized because of the presidential election. So they need to bring him in, into the coalitions in order for having at least the symbols of real reconciliation. To ease Prabowo and his supporters' To you know, to be part of the Indonesia as a family again, but there is another uh, more um, concrete issue. I think there is also a belief that during the last presidential election, Prabowo has been being surrounded by the so-called more conservatism, you know, conservative groups, religiously and non-religiously, and now they wanted Prabowo to go back to the center and they by bringing him in into the coalitions, they can drag him back to the middle and separated from the groups. And those groups are considered by them as the so-called radicals group, non-Indonesian, uh, uh, unitary state groups, uh, and so on and so forth. So by bringing Prabowo in, they have the chance to moderate some mm-hmm. part of Indonesian voters or society in general and at the same time they can also identify who the real anti Indonesian state groups are so i think uh, uh, that factor also i think uh, part of the equation when yes, bringing yeah. prabowo inside the coalition
0: tadi perjuangan mendorong diadakannya amandemen undang-undang dasar saya tidak setuju Nantinya perubahan yang diusulkan ialah pada kewenangan MPR menetapkan kembali haluan negara atau KBHM. KBHM. Jadi kalau arahnya amandemen itu adalah MPR, nanti yang memilih presiden dan wakil presiden itu yang saya tidak setuju. Karena sekali saya adalah produk pilihan langsung oleh rakyat. Pilihan langsung oleh rakyat.
1: And just stepping back to your, your point about the uh, state policy guidelines, the so-called GPHN. Yes. Um, the major parties support it. It, it began with PDIP. Garindra supports it. Golkar, Nastem. I think PKB does not. At least at this point. Um, I think it's really important for our listeners to to understand this and to follow this because it's an important step if they would like to amend the constitution. Which eventually, as you said, would could open the door to make the upper house, the NPR yeah. the highest uh, institution in in the land what do you see happening, say in the next this next house session? do you see it moving forward? How long would it actually take to be to, for that to happen, for example, and do you see the the president supporting that? It would be quite ironic if this is conducted and happens at the time uh, especially it would be ironic because the democratic forces direct elections is what brought President Widodo into office to begin with and it'd be ironic if it's removed right. during his time exactly. What's going to happen with the amendment do you think
2: I think the chairman of the MPR, The Bambang Susatyo who is uh, going to be the presiding officer mm-hmm. Responsible for amending the constitution has said that uh, This amendment issue is very controversial among the public So we need to be very careful uh, and i think it's not there yet it's there on the possible agenda but i think it is not being processed yet and you know to process with the amendment you need to, uh, the initiations from the real fig- the detail figure i forget but i think it should be initiated or proposed by at least a third of the uh, dpr member and then agreed by 2 thirds of the DPR-, the dpr member to be processed after that, they can do. Then they will gather between the DPR and the Senate, the DPD, mm-hmm. and they will have. Uh, they will start the the deliberations, the, uh, the sessions for for that. So it's it's actually a long way to go, but I think um, they many of these political parties, uh, these political parties know that this issue is very controversial to the public. So you have to look at what is actually political intention behind their. Uh, agreement to say that yes I, I agree to uh, amend the constitutions one of them you know the this this deal about the amendment of the Constitution has been started very very concretely on, on early September when the DPR revised the law on uh, the structures and compositions of MPR and uh, on on legislative composition, structure and composition of leg, uh, legislature at the national and at local level. The issue is about the leaderships of the MPR, the leadership of Indonesian uh, People Consultative Assembly. According to uh, the law at the time, that the MPR uh, leadership will be the uh, de- uh, will be decided based on the voting or based on the package uh, proposed by coalition or opposition okay now uh, there is i think there was a lobby among them to make that MPR should give all of the political parties and the senate position in leadership meaning that everybody got the cut uh, of the cake right mm-hmm. then uh, they proceeded with revising the law the law and that structures and composition then they change the law uh, or the, the the provision on that leadership of MPR and now we have you know everybody every political party has the chairmanship or vice chairmanship in the MPR part of the deal i think is that PDIP strongly support that you know that change up the law on the leadership uh, uh, article on the leadership of MPR in exchange of them to make a promise to support PDIP in uh, amending the constitutions, and I think because of that uh, exchange, they most of political parties agreed. Then they say we uh, we supported the 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 amendment or the limited amendment in then in in their uh, term. Uh, but the question is whether whether they are going to be committed to that promise. It is still a big question mark. Bambang Susatyo, for instance, who is the chairman of MPR now, uh, uh, based on the compromise from Golkar, right? He's from Golkar. I think he was also asked by probably PDIP to make a promise that as a chairman of MPR, he will be supported by uh, PDIP and other political parties as long as he promised to proceed with this amendment. And then he said yes, but the, uh, there is no time binding there is no time limit is it going to be in 1 year 2 years 3 years or until the end of the term of this mpr it's not clear the one that is very clear that uh, amendment of constitution issue is very very controversial among public i don't think they will dare to uh, you know to ignore
1: the public so they may not ignore the public in a similar way as they did with the KPK, the revision law. Of
2: KPK law yeah because um, they they i think they they learned the hard way but but i think they have got one step win right because the law whether or not we like it the law has that has become the law now uh public is trying to reverse that back by asking or by pressing the president to to release or to enact the so-called uh, Indone- uh, government regulations in lu- in lieu of law or Perpu in Indonesian term, but we'll see. Otherwise, I think, uh, but I think if this demand is not uh, being supported by you know massive public protest. I don't think the government will exactly. uh, will think it over.
1: Yeah, it seems. If I had a guess now,
2: it seems that they may get away with it um, going forward. But um, but if they get away with it, we still have to wait and see. I'm I'm thinking that if they get away with that revision of the law on on uh, anti-corruption agency, I think there is always reason for public to go to the street. And when you have public going to the street, anything can happen. You know. And.
1: Uh, c- Sorry, can, can he issue that
2: Perpu, that regulation in lieu of law, anytime? Anytime. Okay. It is now law, without being signed by him, and he can just. Uh, I think the drop of the Perpu has been there with yeah. several version, and he just need to decide on that and sign it. Uh, and I think, of course, the political parties will be negatively responding to that. But I think if you are, if you are the president, you have to think of which one is better for you to manage and control the political elites a negative reaction or to manage and control the negative reactions from the public which one is uh, you know more worth it for you which one is uh, much more doable for you i think in indonesian situations uh, managing and controlling the negative reactions from the political elite is much more uh doable compared to managing the reaction from the public because look at what happened in uh, in the pro rally after a few days of the enactment of that revision of the law right even six people died many injured many uh, properties damaged and so on and so forth the and it also harm potentially the civil liberties and civil rights in Indonesia which will be not good for uh, the government in general. But
1: it, isn't it interesting that though that the government, the Widero government, supported the KPK, the amendments to the KPK law, it was done very quickly with with parliament, and that these amendments have to have joint agreement between parliament and the government. Am I correct? Yes. And so it was supported by the government, but then now the president doesn't sign it. Uh, you know because of this this public uh, right. protest mm-hmm. um so it's we we'll to see what happens but in fact your one of your most recent um LSI surveys shows that 70% of the participants in the survey um believe that the, the amendments are, will weaken the KPK right. the anti-graft right. uh, institution
2: and truly if you look at the, the 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 substance of the revision of the law actually you don't need the KPK anymore right now just leave the corruption uh, issues to the police and you know the uh, at the prosecutors and so on. And so on. The, the, just the ordinary ones. You don't need KPK. KPK is needed because they are because corruption is considered extraordinary crimes. Correct. An extraordinary crime needs an extraordinary body and when that that extraordinaryness is it <laughs> and the extraordinary uh, ordinariness of the, the KPK is no longer there so you don't you have don't the reason it. to have yeah. KPK anymore one of the extraordinary measure that KPK has that given the teeth to to KPK's work is the power to wiretap mm-hmm. but now that power is still there but you have to get the permission from mm-hmm. the so-called supervisory body of KPK you know, and written, you know, written yeah. permission, permit. When is there any guarantee that if you are my supervisor, then I'm asking you to give me a permit to wiretap somebody else, and somebody else is your friend or your relative? Exactly. Yeah. Are, are you not gonna leak it to them yeah, or exactly. not? Yeah,
1: exactly. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the KPK has become the the nation's most trusted institution.
2: Yeah, and until it, October 2019. Uh, KPK and the president still got around seventy percent of trust of the public, while the Indonesian DPR got only forty percent—the worst since nineteen ninety-nine.
1: Wow, interesting.
0: Dara DPC Partai Gerindra Solo Jawa Tengah bermaksud memasangkan Gibran Raka Buming dengan cucu Bung Karno, Paudra Karna, dalam pemilihan wali kota Solo.
2: Ibren Raka Raka yaitu putra sulung Presiden Joko Widodo yang menemui Ketua Umum PDIP Megawati Soekarno Putri.
1: And moving forward, Pot, Jokowi came into office in 2014 as a political outsider uh, fighting against the elites and, he's and, political, and political dynasties. Mm-hmm. He now has a large coalition, a very weak opposition. Uh, he has many political accommodations in his new cabinet. Uh, his son now is running for mayor of solo his former position uh, his son-in-law is also running for mayor of Medan. Mm-hmm. Uh but both are being fast tracked particularly his son through the pdip party mm-hmm. he is planning for a future when people thought he wouldn't be doing that perhaps a political future for his family is a new dynasty forming or is this family members just jumping
2: at an opportunity can be both can be both but this is that makes me wonder you know jokowi runs for president ran into pol- ran into politics as the man of the people man of the hope in that way we or many people consider him as an extraordinary politician uh, or not uh, an unusual politician right but if he really allow his son and his son-in-law to run for mayorship in Medan and in Solo then this uh this what is it this expectations or this belief that Jokowi is actually not ordinary politicians will be no longer there you know if he allow her, uh, his son and his son-in-law we'll just consider him as no he's just like any other politician when you know what is politician what does politician do they jump into the, the the chance that they got the 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 opportunity that got right. So, if as a, a as a president, you can be a good enabling factor for your family to get a political position, why prevent that? Just let it go. So uh, that is what the politicians do. So uh, this is a test of leadership for Jokowi and a test of the commitment to him as you said he committed that he's not gonna have uh, a burden to prepare for a political career for his family or family members but if these two uh, is this his son and his son-in-law are truly running for presidency uh, I mean for mayorship then uh, that expectation will no longer in our mind in my view of course it is the right of everybody to Run for political position, regardless of you are the son of the president or not. It is uh, you know it is in by Indonesian law it is the right. So it is the right of Gibran or Bobby to run for mayorship in Solo and Medan. But I think if Jokowi would like to have no political burden during his second term, he should prevent them to run now. That is my uh, my position or my view. Why is that? political burden can mean that you don't have the plan to be re-elected. But it also means that you don't have burden from your family. Think about if for, if for instance, Gibran is elected as the mayor. Isn't that a burden, for Jogovi? That could be a burden. Anything can happen, right? And the elections
1: in 2020 next year?
2: In 2020, 2020 to 2024 is four years a uh, very very important years for Jokowi to finish up all of his promises in second term what what if something happened to Gibran during his mayorship like whether he in, he has the intention to do it or being set up by others to be you know involved in you know scandal corruption things like that isn't that isn't that going to be a problem for the president that's going to be a problem right Number two, I think uh, running for mayorship now for Gibran or poor Bobby is not good for themselves because what is the reason of Gibran got the what you call fast track to be nominee of PDIP? The answer is because he's the son of the president, right? And you know that in solo actually PDIP has decided or at least has got somebody to be nominated other than Gibran. And that somebody now is being put aside. Yeah. Why is that? Because there is the son of the president to run, right? So if you are Gibran, then people say, so what? What are you? What things that you bring? You bring to the table? Nothing, right? You just rely on positions of your, your father. Yeah. Your father. When he is elected, what is the reason of being elected? Because he is a, a successful businessman? Not yet, right? Uh, the reason is only because he is the son of the president, even worse if he lost that the problem for the president again. So I think there are too many negative things in this, not to mention the one in Medan, yeah? so I think to prevent the view and to prevent the possibility of complication for Jokowi himself in running the presidency, I think it is better for him to ask the family to at least you know uh, postpone the intention and uh the will to participate or to be involved in uh, elections of the uh, of any political positions uh, both at the national and also at the local level
1: yeah fascinating well we'll have to watch that and see what happens uh last point Pot, is there anything we should be looking out for in the near future that that i haven't covered or anything what's comes to mind say from now until the end of the year that some of our listeners should should I watch I
2: think uh you know the one that is lacking now with Jokowi is that public support you know comparatively speaking when SBY the previous president is uh, coming into his second term during a similar time period up now in two thousand nine, the public support for uh, the president—I mean, the uh, approval rating of the president, uh, SBY we at the time—was around 84 85 percent. Jokowi now is only around sixty-seven percent.
1: Interesting. Meaning
2: that while Jokowi has been considered as a very good president, right, man of the people, as the man of the people, the people ach- approaching uh, entering the second term, he should be having much higher approval rating than sixty-seven. What does that mean? That means there is a tendency a public support uh, being decreased for his second term. Now it will be interesting to watch what is his uh, take on this public support. Is it gonna be that it's no longer important for him because he's no longer uh, running mm-hmm. for uh, the next election, or is he still thinking that it is important for him? I'm still hoping that he thinks that public support is still important. You know because. That it is always good to have going public strategy, meaning going to public when you have problems with political parties, right? Mm-hmm. And you not you will not use that strategy to be successful if the public does not support you. So I think public support will be important uh, issue to watch. And the issue of revision of the law of KPK is one important uh, issue here. So how he deals with this Perpu? With with this demand for him to reverse the law the revision of law on KPK will be important for the public.
1: Yeah, fascinating. Well we'll have to see what happens going forward. Mm-hmm. Uh Dr. Jayadi Hanan, uh, executive director of Lembaga Survey Indonesia, L S I, and lecturer and director of political science research at Paramadina University here in Jakarta. Thank you so much, Pat. I hope
2: that helped your audience especially the non-Indonesian audience, right? Yes, Who, it's very helpful and
1: right. fascinating and hope to uh, have you on again soon and hear your insights. Thank you so much, Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Many, many thanks to Dr. Jaiudi for sharing his insights on the program. Please send your suggestions and feedback to info at and follow us on Twitter, at IndoInDepth. And also, follow me on LinkedIn to get my analysis and read my articles on current affairs in Indonesia. The link is in the show description. I'm Sean Corrigan, and thanks for listening.